Meow. This is Tanya Todd, writer, producer, and soon-to-be director of Morning Sacrifice, a tragic romance where a vampire poses as a detective to help the woman he loves search for her missing husband. This sensuous detective noir short film explores how even the most altruistic love can turn monstrous. If this story strikes a titillating nerve, or if you simply love vampires, consider contributing to our crowdfunder at seedandspark.com. Funding for this film is supported in part by Nevada Arts Council and National Endowment of the Arts, but we still have a long way to go. Check out our enticing incentives. Pick the choice that excites you most. Join me, and we shall make a dark and delicious love story. That's Morning Sacrifice at seedandspark.com. Hello and welcome to Banned Books Conversations, where radical readers discuss prohibited prose. I'm your host, Tanya Todd, and we're here to talk about banned books, literary works that have been removed from a library shelf or school curriculum. Over the course of Banned Books Week, this series will cover seven different books, the reasons they were banned, and the value in reading them. Today's book is Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. It may surprise you that this book is on the Banned Books list. It may also surprise you why, but before we get to that, let's meet today's radical readers. Meow Wendy, welcome. Please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do. Thank you, Tanya. Welcome, everyone, and thanks for having me here. I'm Wendy Wimmer. I am a fiction author by night and a technology editor by day. Uh, My most recent uh, offering is Entry Level Short Stories Collection, available from Autumn House Press. It won the Autumn House Press um, 2021 Fiction Award and uh, was just released almost not quite exactly a year ago, actually, now I'm thinking about it. And recently available also on audiobook on Audible and Libby and Chirp and wherever you get your digital media. So that is me. And I'm excited to be here talking about one of my most favorite books of all time. Yes, you were very eager when I mentioned this one. Ada, please introduce yourself. Hi, Tanya. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on another uh, great uh, year. Well, I guess it's not great since we have to have conversations about banned books, but another <laughs> right. year of banned books conversations. My name is Ada McCartney. I'm an actor, poet, and teaching artist with over a decade of experience uh, working in intersections of art, community organizing, and education. Um I host the Poetry Theater podcast with the Femon Collective and collaborate on publishing projects with the Wisdom Body Collective, and um, I'm glad to be here. And Spider Dan. Hello, Tonya. Hello, everyone. I'm Spider Dan of the Spider Dan and the Secret Balls podcast, where I cover cult movies and comic books that you should be looking at, but probably aren't. So I like to, like an archaeologist, dig out those hidden treasures. And that often includes very controversial films or banned books in their own right. So, uh, so yes, thank you for having me on. I thought last year was wonderful and a very important series of podcasts to listen to. I think everybody should go back and listen to them if they haven't already. Well, thank you for that. And in case you don't know, Dan is responsible for all of those lovely reels that were made last year. He's, he was a huge help behind the scenes. And today he's going to join us for the conversation. 
I'm so glad. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, and again, talking about more spiders. Yes. Mm. Well, well, we'll start with you. What is it about banned books, the, the conversation around banned books that interests you? Um. I I'm always interested. I've I've never kind of stood like steered away from controversial stuff. If anything, I I go towards that because I think that's fascinating. That's interesting. And why is it controversial? What was it? What was it about the time? What was it about the people who weren't happy with it? Why is it deemed controversial? Is it still controversial today? Um, I, I like that investigation again, that historical aspect. And uh, I think that banning books is dangerous. I think it is can be irresponsible. And I think, you know, I'm a big comic book fan. And, you know, I, I was introduced to the idea of banning and burning books through comic books, through the McCarthyism. And there was a, a book called Seduction of the Innocent, which um, it was, uh, I think it's Frederick Wortham, I want to say, uh, which is probably is a book that actually probably should have been banned itself because it was full of all absolute rubbish, not even real studies or scientific uh, things they they implied that Batman and Robin were in a homosexual relationship and it was ungodly and various other horrible things. But um, I I just think it's something that we should always keep an eye on and that we should be aware of. Um, again, I think there are offensive things out there, uh, but I don't think that we should be outright banning them. I think if you are offended by it, put it away. Don't give them your money. End of. How about you, Wendy? What what interests you in these conversations? What I'm most interested about, I've been thinking about this question a lot. Um, what I'm most interested about is generally who gets to do the banning, generally as a, a very specific but very vocal, tiny little minority, often, you know, repeating the mantra of think about the children, which is always ridiculous, because what about the children? Don't, the, don't they get to think for themselves? And don't they get to, you know, experience, you know, that's, that's really what it is. Think about the children, we want to control what they have experience to. But then I'm also thinking about, um, and I'm showing my age here, in the 80s, there was a book called Michelle Remembers, which uh, was posed as nonfiction written by a psychiatrist, you know, had all the the credentials that you would think that this was a real thing. And it it was talking about his patients remembrances of being um, abused by a satanic cult. And that drove a tremendous amount of satanic panic in the 80s and then was later um, completely found to be a sham. He married the woman who it was about, and there was no evidence that any of those things had been true. So we, as kids, were all sharing this around the school. It was in the school's library. Nobody had banned it um, or anything, but we believed that it was true. So we were even like getting freaked out about, you know, we play music backwards and we'd hear supposedly the voice of Satan in the background. And, you know, we had friends who were playing D&D &D, and it's like, oh no, those are probably Satanists. <laughs> and may maybe that should have been banned or maybe it should have been, you know, republished under the, the clear tome of fiction because we earnestly believed it was true. And those are the kind, you know, this kind of this gray area of we need to understand what we're getting into when we read a book, but we also need to have the ability to 
decide for ourselves. When I taught World Lit and I was talking about, you know, the uh, Age of Enlightenment, you know, we were talking about uh, at the time um, uh, Voltaire and the French writers and, you know, Voltaire was was banned um, as well at the time. He was, you know, supposedly lewd. There was a lot of LGBT plus authors who were, who had content that was banned and but then on the flip side you have the Marquis de Sade who was writing truly, truly like depictions of si- child sexual assault, um, abusive situations. And when I taught World Lit to college students, they were asking me how come we're not reading you know Marquis de Sade? It's in the Norton. And I'm like, well, you know what? Because because I've had a lot, I've had enough, and I don't want to I don't want to have conversations that this would invite. But you're welcome to check this out. Here are the books. They're in the library go decide for yourself. So I think that's really this um, kind of careful, narrow line that we have to walk about making sure that people walk into something, understanding what they're getting into without um, hampering their ability to do so. That was kind of a long meandering way to say, ban books, Who? why? (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Ada? As long as books are being banned and challenged, um, I feel responsible to keep talking about that to everybody I know, to keep um, interrogating why, to keep reading books that are banned and challenged. Um, So that's at the heart of my interest in participating in these conversations. Um, Recently, as an educator, I am teaching in a college classroom a book that while not banned is um, frequently challenged for the graphic nature of the illustrations. A lot, uh, more than a few um, students and other people would have called it pornographic. It's decidedly not porn, not pornographic. Um, But I just find it really fascinating that the, the kinds of criticisms that I field are never about the story itself or about the ideas in it. They're about um, usually recycled criticisms that, they, that they've that they heard out in the world or uh, sort of judging a book by its cover or a picture um, inspired criticisms. And I think that is, to your point, Wendy, um, not doing diligence to having the opportunity to really understand and make your own assessments of books, of ideas, of anything. Um, So yeah, as long as books are being challenged and banned, um, I feel like compelled uh, to keep, to talk about them, to read them, to seek them out. selfishly at the core of it to decide for myself to, you know, but also so that, um, so that I can model that for, for people in my world who, who can see me doing that. Are you open to sharing the name of that? Oh yeah. Um, it is Fiona Staples and Brian K. Vaughn's saga. Uh, it's a graphic, a comic series uh, that's a space opera and um, it contains depictions of death, sex, violence, war, um, most contentiously child sexual slavery, child slavery, assault, um, 
so it's you know it's not a pg text by any stretch of the imagination um but i am teaching it in an adult context in a class in a college classroom full of adults so that, i feel like that's important context um yes <laughs> not something that i would have taught in when i taught high school for example um well, you sound very passionate about that. You should probably write an essay. Ooh, girl. Um, <laughs> if you're a fan of uh, and you want to read an essay about that, you should check out the anthology that Miss Todd, Todd is co-editing, which may or may not contain an essay about this very topic. April 2024, Four Horsemen Press. Get it. <laughs> So back to our conversation, and we'll stick with Ada for this one, because I feel like Dan and Wendy covered it a little bit. Is there a scenario in which you feel banning a book is the correct course of action? And if so, what is it? No, I don't think that they're really, and here's why. I don't, I don't think that there's a scenario in which it's okay to ban a book, because where is the line who, as Wendy uh, so beautifully put it, who gets to decide um, who has the power to decide what I read, what you read, what we read. Um, and I think, I think it's a very thin line. And I don't, I don't think that banning books uh, as a practice is uh, an appropriate or helpful way to deal with some of the challenges um, posed in texts that might be banned. How about you, Dan? Um, I, I think, I, I think age ratings for stuff is, is good. I think just to give you an idea of what you're going into, I think, I don't want to call them trigger warnings, but maybe describing some of the stuff that goes on in the book. If you're emotionally vulnerable to those kind of depictions of things like that, maybe some of the stuff Ada was talking about, things like that. If you not kind of happy reading anything about that, that's, that's your choice. You have the choice, I think is the option. A banned book implies there is no choice. We don't have access to that text. Mm. Uh, and I think that's that's the thing, is, is having the ability to make my own decision. And if I want to read it, I can. If I ha go halfway through it and I'm offended, I can put it down. I can put it away. But at the end of the day, everybody should have the freedom and the choice to pick up and, you know, so there's some books I will never read out there that are highly offensive to me, but I'm not going, ban them, get rid of them. I'm going, no, that's, you know, it's freedom of speech. It's horrible speech. And I don't agree with it. But if people want to write it, that is their freedom to do so. But yeah, I, I think it, it boils down to that for me. I, if I want to read something, I should have the ability to make that decision for myself. How about you, Wendy? Uh, well, I mean, so there's there's a couple of things that really when we're talking about banned books, this is an administrative decision through public school systems, right? This is not ever going to affect people who are outside of, you know, getting things from the public library unless they're banning them at the public library. And I think it's a really interesting discussion. Today is the day that uh, the California Senate is banning school book banning. Uh, within the public school system. So they can't, they're, they're not able to do that, which is kind of amazing. But ultimately, what goes in the library is chosen by whoever the librarian is. 
So there may be quiet shadow bans happening all the time that we just don't know about, which I think is more concerning. We should be asking what is being kept out of the library that I haven't, that I don't know about because, you know, nobody's made a fuss. And recently, like recently, as in yesterday, I was trying to come up with a name for, uh, in a, in some fiction that I was working on for a child who uh, was the result of a sexual assault. And I chose admittedly a terrible Google term, not really thinking about it. And Google stopped and asked me if I was human before it would give me the search query. Um, so while I don't believe in banning books, I think that in some instances, as Dan was saying, controls might need to be in place a little bit to be like, hey, do you really know what you're getting here? Like, you know, Lolita isn't just a book about teenage fashion. You know, it's it's got some heavy stuff in there. And I and I think that controls may, might need to be just like, I don't know if it's like a warning label or, or whatnot, but just a conversation for kids who are maybe picking up something that might be uh, alarming, you know, like a trigger warning, I think is, is a great, um, a great case. Or in the, like the case of Marquis de Sade, it features child sexual assault. Everybody knows who Marquis de Sade is. He's, he's part of, you know, the lexicon. We talk about him in terms of referencing. So people may think that it's, you know, a classic and pick it up. I've definitely seen that situation from my college college uh sophomores so that is it, you know we were talking about a slippery slope a little bit ada had mentioned and and it it does become a question about like how much is censorship i remember in the 80s tipper gore wanted parent advisory stickers on rock albums and do am i suggesting parent advisory stickers on books gosh i hope not but at the same time i i think i am so i don't know so I have no Sorry, answer. Sorry, you, you remind me of a public enemy lyric where they say, we wore that sticker like a badge. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. That meant the good stuff, right? Like this is like, oh yeah. I remember uh I think Nirvana's Nevermind, our local store put the sticker over the child's penis specifically. Um, you know, because there's a baby with a, you know. Yeah. Um, if, if you are having feelings because of a naked baby maybe right. you should examine like, that <laughs> right it was like six months old like come on um and it, so it is you know it does make me wonder about the slippery slope but at the same time i do think it it can be a conversation without being an actionalized administrative policy um and that's why we hire librarians right when that's mm -hmm. why children's librarians are the treasures that they are they know what your kids are checking out and they can have those conversations and make those recommendations. Well, since you mentioned the slippery slope, how does that concept fit in with the desire to ban books? Uh, I actually think slippery slope is, is an excuse. I think it's, um, you know, a lot of people were using the slippery slope argument when we were talking about uh, equal rights for marriage and saying, well, what's to stop me from marrying a gerbil? And it's like, well, that that would not happen. Um, you know, that is not the same thing. And sent up the gerbil. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a false equivalency. So I feel like the slippery slope argument is just asking us all to be reasonable people and use logic and understand that this is not like that. The apples do not equal oranges. How about you, Ada? Um, the 
logical fallacy that sort of asserts that a relatively small step leading leads to a larger series of related and possibly catastrophic events, um, also known as the slippery slope fallacy, seems to be really at the heart and in the foundation of most banning advocacy and um, most arguments for banning or censoring books and edu- and I would say education in in larger contexts. I think that it, that it's at the heart of not only book ban administrative book bans and shadow bans and like libraries, but additionally at the heart of um, educational censorship that does things like say you can't teach critical race theory or the actual history of slavery in the United States. Um, so I'm so glad you asked about the slippery slope fallacy. And, and I really do think that it, it sits right at the heart of what, and it's, and it's, I think too, more powerfully, it's that hook. It serves that hook purpose for people who may not really care that much or may not necessarily be vehement about a particular book banning or censorship cause but it offers that kind of like hook of a a cause or a reason or like a big deal, somebody who could get behind if they're not necessarily doing their own research um, or they want to, or they want to get behind it. I think it's, it's a slippery slope. Well, I have to give credit to Veronica Clash. She's the one who came up with that question. She was thinking about it ahead of all of the recordings and, she suggested it. Like, that's a good question. What are your thoughts on that, Dan? I've I've heard the slippery slope argument from both sides. So I've heard, you know, if we if we start banning books, you know, it's a slippery slope. And then also if we don't start banning these things, it's a slippery slope. So I think I think it's it's used as an argument for both sides. I'm not I'm not I'm not for banning books in any stretch of the imagination, but you you do hear it. Um, I think there are there are restrictions, and we see uh, in many countries in in many areas of the law there are in strict restrictions on, let's say, the trans issues or or the LGBT plus stuff. There's there's laws that come in and out all the time. There's you know there's abortion rights that have been taken away. There are things that there are freedoms that are going um if we're not careful um i and i think the there is it's a it's a difficult question i think there might be some fruit to it in some respects like oh it's going to be 1984 one day and we can't have independent thoughts but then could we could we really let it get that far would we let it get that far but then I I don't know. It's a it's a very loaded question for me. I think, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I yeah I don't know if it's a, a valid or invalid way of. I think I think the hook the hook aspect I think is correct. I think that's spot on that it gets people interested in the issue. It gets people mm. kind of oh what what's this what's this now what are they what are they doing now these liberals you know and all this you know what they're taking away from us now. What can't I say now? You know, um, so yeah, it's um, it's 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 a tough one. I don't I don't know if I I don't know if I, not quite sure how I feel about it one hundred percent. But 
maybe maybe I'll get back to you one of these days when I've finally figured it all out. Well, in recent years, there's been a pattern in the themes that get books banned. And I'm curious what you all think this pattern says about where we are as a society. And I'll start with Ada. Go ahead, Wendy. The it, it's pretty clear to me that themes this the you know and Dan had alluded it to it earlier it it tends to be the quote unquote woke um material that is being challenged and banned um uh, rather than uh things that are on you know more on the conservative side that are uh, you know literal trash um but what I'm mostly concerned about is they are being they are banning it. I mean, like the Barbie movie was, you know, people were complaining about the Barbie movie because it was quote unquote woke thoughts. We're going to ingest inject you. And apparently the reason that Elon Musk purchased a social media conglomerate is because his daughter is trans and he believes that she got that idea from that social media. Um the whole thing is crazy. But I think that it does, um, we are in some kind of um, major change with, with um, at least in the, in the U.S., uh, but I, I mean, I'm seeing it in, in England as well, um, and as in Brazil, we had a tremendous, for sure in the U.S., we had a tremendous um, surge forward in terms of equality and representation in the the aughts and the you know in the um early teens and then it's like we had a rubber band snap backwards where you know then we went it's you know the the populace the populace or that that five to ten percent of undecided voters sway swung the other way and um brought us into this almost new moral um puritanical uh vibe for lack of a better mm-hmm. word and I, I i think that we're going to swing the swing the other way again i feel like there's enough resistance and enough um momentum for all of us to continue to challenge and continue to stand up for our rights individually bodily um across all of you know representation and fight for for people who are being mar- marginalized but it does require us to challenge them and sometimes maybe even using some of the same tactics that, you know, the other side does, which is to be vocal and to be be clear about what is not okay um, and stand up for those situations. But I do think that, I mean, the the it's always been conservatives challenging what books that they think of are too liberal. I mean, it's just, I can't. I remember Judy Blooms Forever was was banned when I was in high school too, and it was like it was all because it showed a sixteen year old having safe sex with her boyfriend, safe monogamous missionary style sex, and that was considered to be beyond the pale in the in you know my high school. <laughs> and of course, everybody had to then go and find go down to B Dalton Books and buy Forever. And I hope Judy Bloom got you know very rich off of that ban. So conservatives are always going to conservative, I think, is is really what it comes down to. So Ada has returned. Let's see if her audio is working. Hi. Um, Wendy, you must have grown up in the Midwest. I remember. <laughs> I, I did, correct. Uh, similar conversations in high school. Um, 
So what do book what do the pattern of books being banned say about the themes of society today? Um, I recently saw this excellent, it was like a five-minute video. Um, it was Tanahasi Coates talking, and he um had this just lucid reminder that like this is not new. Um it's embedded in the fabric of our history for as long as the United States has been a country and even longer because y'all over in the UK are the ones that essentially colonized us. So not, but, and I thought that was really heartening is the word that comes to mind, even though I don't, I don't think it's the best word. Um, it's not, it's not heartening that this is a fact of existence to me. Um, it is heartening in that sometimes it can feel like um, the moment that we are in as a society is gloomy and tragic and unprecedented. And also very, very, there's a lot of things that are happening that I think I find it heartening when I can look sort of with a wider and larger lens into the into history into the wider context to see that while it may feel extreme to me right now in this moment as a person only living in this moment it's there's a precedent there's a history there's a whole context for for what we're seeing right now um and so i think i think that that pattern maybe just says that we're still trying, we're still working it out as a society and we've got a ways to go perhaps. Um, but I don't necessarily take it too much deeper than that because I'm trying to, at least for my own sanity, I try to kind of keep an eye on the long, the long game, so to speak. Well, that answer was definitely worth the wait. <laughs> How about you, Dan? Uh, I'm going to quote Billy Joel. We didn't start <laughs> the fire. We didn't start the fire. So it's always been burning since the world's been turning. So, yeah, it's all. I think there's always going to be that clash. And I think uh, what Wendy was saying, there's going to be a, you know, an equal negative reaction to a, the positive reaction and vice versa. It's always going to be that those two kind of sides of the coin, I think, that are going to be... Uh, vying for attention but i i know that like <laughs> like the 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 right wing kind of side of things have always they're complaining about cancel culture it's all about oh you can't do this you can't do that i was like you you started cancel culture way back when we didn't call it cancel culture but you were the you were burning books and and you know banning books and saying people can't do this they can't do that that's un-american that's ungodly we didn't, you know, the left didn't do that. That was that was that was a right wing thing, really, uh, in so many ways. So, I, I think it's I think it's right. I think we have to. Wendy's right. We have to kind of keep that fight and maybe use some of that ammo. Maybe be a bit more angry and and outspoken and get get the attention as opposed to you know just going oh please don't do that don't like when you do that you know i think maybe sometimes we do need to be righteously angry i think and and i think we have a right to be i think when when horrible things are going on um you know recently i've lost friends that have certain views and 
I've spoken to family members that have certain views and it's, it's very upsetting to me and, you know, and, and the way maybe some of the, some children are being raised in my family, I don't necessarily agree with, and maybe some of the views that the parents have as well. It's, you know, it's disheartening, it's sad. And I am always trying to kind of just, just move the, the needle, thread the needle to, you know, just a little bit to the other side or to, to one one way or another, just to kind of go ask those questions and go, what do you think? Why, why are we doing this? So why do you think this way? Instead of, instead of just going, this is the way it is and that's how it's going to be. And yeah. So I, I think we've got to keep, keep that fire burning in a, in a sense um, within ourselves and, and in society to make sure it, you know, the needle doesn't go all the way to one way or, or to the, or to the next, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more with uh, what Ada and Wendy have been saying. Well, Wendy, you said that when Judy Bloom was banned, everyone raced out to buy that book. What do you think is the value in reading books that may be considered offensive by some? Well, doesn't it really set you to question whether the people who are quote unquote banning books or preventing your school system from purchasing it or you know, taking them out of the libraries, doesn't it really set you to realize like, huh, what is their agenda? What are, what do they have out of it? I mean, literally it was like less than three quarters of a page of, of sex on Judy Bloom's Forever. Um, and it wasn't especially good or racy or anything like that. It was literally straight, you know, PIV, um, boring sex. It was not especially titillating. Um, and it was much more about, you know, the realistic annoyances of finding condoms and, and, you mm. know, uh, I seem to remember like there was a terrible breakup. Spoiler alert for this 40 year old book. Um, and which brings, I mean, I still think about the banning of, of Charlotte's Web, not to come back to that, but I mean, that is just ridiculous. And I'm really glad that nobody, I was able to experience it on its own merits and its own kind of come to it on its own platform without having having a second thought about the reasons behind that banning. I was able to just appreciate it for the wonderful, magical story that it is. So in some ways, it does create a taint for that author's book. And this is E.B. White. E.B. White wrote Strunk and White's, you know, The Elements of Style. I mean, a masterful writer. He did nothing without intention. Um, I I feel bad for the kids who knew it was banned before they read it. Yeah, there is something to that. Dan, what do you think is the value in reading books that might be considered offensive? Um, I think there are maybe certain topics you could learn from. I think you can have your perspective changed. You can look at something and, you know, maybe you've not experienced something yourself, be it a good thing, a positive thing or a negative thing. But I think you can get a a view that you might not necessarily have gotten. Like, again, have the conversations, talk about these things, you know, talk about this with your mom, with a friend, with, you know, get everybody else's you know, view on it, you know, oh, what about this topic or this happened in this book? What's what's this about? I don't quite understand what this is or I want to unpack my feelings and try and find uh, a new way to 
you know be in touch with the world and and reach out and learn things and and be open to experiences good and bad um you know i i i look at some very strange films in my podcast uh, and i and i i have people have introduced me to strange films i've introduced them and oftentimes the film might not be great but the experience we have on the podcast talking about it was actually more beneficial and you know and there's some dodgy stuff and some weird stuff and some wacky stuff um but i i find almost more joy in having talked about it and and discussed it and we go very deep there's very in-depth conversations i have on my podcast and you know talking about society and history and when this film came out what was it saying what was it in response to what was it doing and and i think those are are very important conversations to have and to bring things to light much like the banning of these books i think this is a very important podcast to do that and again it's it's opening the discourse it's opening people's you know, it might be an uncomfortable topic to talk about or or discuss, but the, through the lens of fiction or, you know, or a fictionalized version of someone's real life or something or inspired by real life could potentially change your life. You know, you don't know what book, your next book is going to change your life or how it's going to remind you of something or cry or, you know, you know, what have you, you introduced me to a, a period drama not so long ago. And I think it's one of the best films I've ever seen. It's a beautiful, gorgeous film. And again, you talked about it on our podcast. And again, I would never have watched that. I would never have even in my life gone, you know, period drama. Again, nothing against period dramas necessarily or anything like that. Not necessarily my bag, but I, I made the choice because of your impassioned speech about the film. I went out and I watched that and I'm a better person for having watched that. You have to share what it is. It, it was a uh, bell, I believe it was bell. Am I right? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, beautiful film. And again, it's historical. It's true, and and it has so much to say about today's society as much as it did back then. Uh, really wonderful. Go go and check it out. I'll recommend it instead of Tonya. I'll recommend it. Um, wonderful, wonderful film. So yeah, but there you go. There's there's my example be open to experiences and things that you wouldn't necessarily be open to or you get out of your comfort zone get out of your comfort zone i think these these films these can you know and and i've covered some films where it's like oh there's there's actual animal cruelty going on in these films i don't like that i really don't like that but i'm watching it because i think the discussion will be richer for that yeah i wouldn't recommend it to people I'll mm-hmm. let them fully I will let them fully know what goes on in there as a as a trigger warning. I'll go, if you watch this, this is gonna happen. You're gonna see this. If you're not up for it, if you're not comfortable with it, and and I put a few warnings on my podcast because a lot of people watch along with these films or what or the comics I read. Uh and I was very clear about what goes on in this film and whether they were ready for it. And some people, two or three people, went, No, I am gonna watch that because it does sound interesting and I want to know what Dan's talking about. I want the context for this. Uh, And again, they wouldn't recommend the film either, but at least they took the chance and gave it a go. And you give them an opportunity to prepare themselves for the material too. Absolutely. Uh, I try and do that more often than I did. Once, not so long ago, I didn't. I probably should have gave them a bit more fair warnings, but I've learned my lesson. 
Really? Spoiler Dan wasn't giving spoilers? Not spoiler, not spoilers, but yeah, there's there's again more, more animal cruelty that I kind of forgot about in a different film. But I will say but, that's the one kind of spoiler that I welcome. Okay. I, well, I need then, to know ahead of time. <laughs> I will let you know. I will let everyone know. I just don't just don't tell uh uh Mike of Genuine Chit Chats Megan what the film's about, because I think it might upset her. So we'll just we'll just mum's the word on that one. Yes. Uh, but yes. Ada, do I need to repeat the question? Um, from I don't think so. Um, okay. The value, Dan, you put it beautifully. For me personally, I find great value in reading and watching things that I'm that I am offended by because it offers me the opportunity to have a richer um, understanding of what offends me and why, and. Um, in this is coming up a lot right now in the course I'm teaching around that book saga as it usually does but this idea that there are to go back a little bit to the pattern and kind of where we are as a society um for a number of reasons there are fewer and fewer public social forums where we intentionally get together to talk about things that we disagree on that could be controversial, that make us uncomfortable. Um, and so to the, I see I see evidence of this every every term, every time we have this discussion of how valuable it is to put to put myself, to put ourselves in the space of engaging with material that makes us uncomfortable, that offends us, and to talk about it with people who feel differently about it. Um, I think that that civic discourse is is an essential life skill, and um, that's why that's why I would I absolutely think that there's value in um, reading books that that are offensive to some or to to many. Um, and I to that end, the content warning, at least in this educational context, and in, and for me as a reader or viewer. Um, serves as like an opportunity to kind of prepare myself emotionally and mentally for what I'm about to engage with. And in the cases of like, if there's animal cruelty or certain other things, okay, I'm going to skip this bit. I'm going to do this to take care of myself. Um, as opposed to an invitation to just kind of disengage and say, well, and I use the term content warning instead of trigger warning because um I do want to warn you about the content of what we're about to read and discuss, but I don't think it's fair to assume that you will be triggered by it, nor to give you the opportunity to use being triggered as an opportunity to opt out of the discussion, which is a little bit different in like an everyday context, but I find that useful outside of the classroom as kind of like a, a checkpoint for myself as a reader and viewer when I'm engaging with things, people, material, media that I find offensive. You introduce a bias with the word trigger. Mm -hmm. So content warning, that's a good suggestion. So we're going to focus on today's band book because I can tell Wendy is itching <laughs> to start discussing this book. Published in 1952 by author E.B. White, the award-winning Charlotte's Web is about the friendship between a pig named Wilbur and a spider named Charlotte. 
This popular children's book has been consistently on the best-selling hardcover list for decades. Wendy, how old were you when you first read this book? I was seven. Seven years old, tiny little Wendy. And I still have my copy, although I couldn't find it. It's the 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 front cover is um has separated and I just kind of keep it there by will. Um I keep just storing it there. I don't want to repair it for some reason. I just want to like make sure to buy it. And it's the one with the um the Gareth Williams who did all the uh Little House books does the illustrations for that uh copy. It's a it's a tan or beige copy if, if for those of you who who are of a certain age or had uh you know hand-me-down books or vintage books to paperback and it was just wonderful and Charlotte um was absolutely beautiful in the illustrations. Who How about you, Ada? On Charlotte, I'm sorry, but who doesn't want her own <laughs> magical spider? Right? Thank you, yes. Wendy. Um <laughs> I was also, I couldn't have been more than eight. I might have been seven. And um, it was a, that same copy, that same, um, not copy, the same edition that was illustrated by the guy that did the Little House in the Prairie series. Um, and it was every, every night my mom would sit down and we would read before bedtime. And Charlotte's Web was one of the books that we read together. Um, my mom and me and my little brother, who's two years younger than me, so he would have been I don't know, five or six, uh, when he experienced Charlotte's Web. And my mom and I would take turns reading the text and talking about the pictures. Um, and it was that it's been one of my favorite, favorite reading, favorite and most formative reading experiences of my life. That sounds very lovely. What I mean, just that type of memory and reading together and teaching your brother with your mother. Um. It was beautiful. I I am so grateful to my mom for that that tradition in childhood, and my dad too. He would sometimes read to us, um, but it was really uh, it was really kind of our thing. And Charlotte's Web, I remember. I think I remember it so vividly because while we had read other books, maybe it was something about the age I was, but it affected me emotionally more than any like. Thing except the Velveteen Rabbit that I had read up until that point. Um, and I remember we just like, when one of the sad, we got to the sad parts, we just cried. All three of us were there crying together over this book. Um, and I I just think that was so valuable. I mean, it wasn't, I'm not going to call it fun because it wasn't necessarily fun, but it, it was essential. And I obviously remember it to this day. Um, how about you, Dan? How old were you when you first read it? I was the um, innocent and tender age of 35. <laughs> so I, I, I'd never, I'd never read this, but I was familiar with it. Um, I know we, we must have studied it in school because I think that's the only place I would have learned about it. I, I'm dyslexic. So in my younger years, I wasn't really an avid reader, I would say unless they had pictures, but obviously this does have pictures. So uh, that's why I picked this one. Uh, no. um, but I, I knew it enough. I knew um, I knew the kind of some of the, I think we must have watched the animated version, I think, because um, we might read a passage or a chapter in, in school and then we'd probably just watch the movie, I think. Uh, so I was familiar with it um, and there was some things I'd forgotten about it, but I remembered through reading. Uh, but I, yeah, so, so um, I, 
did the whole thing, all of the all of the pages, um, just in like the last couple of months, really, uh, very slowly but but dedicatedly read every single word. Um, yeah, so thirty five. So you experienced this as an adult first. What were your emotional reactions? Um, you know what this this felt like a kind of um, I described when we did Ladybird on the podcast. I described that as quite nourishing film like for the like like soul food and i feel like this is the same and i was uh i to be honest i i see our relationship quite similar to uh you're definitely the charlotte to my wilbur i think um and uh, i appreciated that and i liked that and i liked um i liked the kind of this the simple nature the simple farm life the he just know, likes the, when i say he's terrific <laughs> I do like that. I do like that. Better uh, than some pig. Yes. Some Dan. Some, some, some Dan. Some, some, some sexist pig. Uh, oh, stop. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but I, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. It's, it was, it was fun. It was charming. It, it reminded me of kind of, you know, when you would go to a farm as a kid and the wonder and the, the magic of, of all these kind of creatures doing their own thing. Um, and that kind of simple farm life. Um, I, I actually didn't look up when it was when it was written, and I was like, this could easily, this is as relevant today as it was when it was made. Like, there's not really anything that that dates it. I, I didn't, you know, there wasn't there wasn't like a moment where I'm like, oh, this is really really dated. This could still happen now. You know, you can still have the farm, and you know, you can still have the the fairground and the prizes, and you know that sort of thing. And yeah, no, I, I I felt it was it is something I I would read to to my child I think because there's there's again it's again not necessarily in my wheelhouse of my interests um, but I knew of it enough I knew enough about it why when you suggested it I was like I also when you suggested it, I also went what would they possibly ban this for. It was also my interest a little bit. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. But uh, but yeah, no. I, I as as an adult, I think obviously uh, Ada and Wendy have such lovely childhood important memories. Um, and I and I'll treasure this. I'll treasure the act of reading this and and enjoying this. And again, it's simple. Um, just the charm of it. Just the the simple. And not when I say simple, it's not derogatory. It's just it's just good storytelling and done effectively. And yeah, I I I really enjoyed it. Even even as a jaded thirty five year old, I thought it was <laughs> Wendy. What emotional reactions do you recall having when you read it? Um. Well, I was at the time uh, we had just moved away from a farm. We lived on a farm. And so I was eagerly reading anything farm related. Uh, we didn't have pigs, we had horses and geese and ducks, but we also had barn rats. Um, and I did not, uh, I really appreciated uh, the depiction of Templeton who was kind of a jerk um, because our barn rats were gross. Um, and I kind of had, had had a similar, you know, don't kill my duck moment. Um, because we, I had ducks and, and rabbits and my stepfather was a hunter. So it was probably the beginning or the understanding of, um, 
you know, like meat in, in the relationship to our, what we eat, um, and where that comes from. And even to this day, you know, I don't eat goose or duck or rabbit, um, for, for those. And I actually don't eat pork, not related to Charlotte's web, but I haven't eaten pork in 14 years. Um, and, and much of it is the same way though. It's that connection with, um, the, you know, the value of a human life. Uh, I think that was kind of that seminal moment of, of which life is valuable. And here Charlotte is a spider that we would kill without even thinking you know, if it were, if she were in our house. Um, and she had the ability to save a life and through using her talent, which such as it was, um, just really such a such a moment uh, and i think it really resonates for for children that they're small like a spider and they have the ability to um well use propaganda to uh, enforce their <laughs> will upon the world <laughs> it is the power of propaganda isn't it a little bit but um yeah don't we all want a friend like charlotte who is a wordsmith and can change a mind um so that's what I remember thinking about was also just like the 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 whole circle of life. It has this this you know no spoiler alert on the seventy plus year old book, but it has this the wonderful moment when Charlotte is getting older and slower. I'm gonna start crying, and uh, it's just it's just wonderful. There is that moment that I I don't remember which of the the wives said this but you know it's like he's some pig well it sounds like it's some spider <laughs> she was some spider yes like yes exactly some spider leave it to a woman to recognize the real woman behind the the job exactly right? yeah i had that moment like yeah she's the one who knows what's happening here <laughs> and she's just that that was the 1950s element <laughs> <laughs> However, E.B. White understood it. He recognized the wife would understand. She would get it. Ada, do you have anything to add to your emotional experience? You kind of covered it. I did. Um, although, Wendy, I, what you said about the farm um, resonated. I grew up farm adjacent and always had, uh, we always had animals, everything from chickens, rabbits, various um, strays of various birds, um, whatnot. And I remember Charlotte's Web was one of the first and most validating experiences that just confirmed my childhood knowing that sentience was beyond humans and my friendships with the various little creatures that were not human um, was totally valid and they that my understanding of their sentience and my respect of it was was necessary and um and I think that's one of the most that the because it's a work of fiction because it's a children's book and not like uh you know this sort of to you to glom on to that propaganda element it's not necessarily propaganda in that it's saying, you know, remember that trees have feelings, remember that, you know, spiders have feelings, but it, you know, goes right to the emotional core of, of that. Um, and it's, it's stayed with me. 
Yeah, it shows you the message. It doesn't mm -hmm. tell you. Well, when I presented the options for this year's conversations, Ada, you and you too, Wendy, you both immediately leapt toward this one. And I think you've kind kind of shared a little bit why, but do you want to expand on that, Ada? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, it shocked me that it is either banned or challenged. Um, when I saw it on your list, I thought, no way, this can't be the same Charlotte's Web that I remember. So I, you know, of course I went to Google and I, you know, went down the little rabbit hole and was like, uh, just like blown away to, to learn that it has been banned um, and to learn why. And I just, I just thought, wow, what a, what an opportunity to reread this book and talk about it and how ridiculous. <laughs> um, so that's why, I, that's why I leapt toward toward Charlotte's Web when you offered the the options. How about you, Wendy? Why did you leap toward it? Uh, I came ready to fight uh, with anybody who wanted to ban it. I was ready to get Hoppita Moppita and all up in somebody's grill who's going to defend it. But I can't think of anybody who would defend maybe the banning of Charlotte's Web. Um, and also, I just think so often in literary culture um children's book and especially chapters books are not appreciated for the literary merit that they have um what eb white is doing in you know what is it 20,000 25,000 words uh is really exceptional we have these characters that you know we can we can remember we're going to remember fern and avery and henry zucker and and wilbur and charlotte and templeton and the goose and the you we're going to remember them forever and it teach it taught well at least for me and Ada it taught us empathy and it reestablished our our understanding. It was doing what good literature does, which is teaching us how to feel and modeling a learning experience, but also doing it so wonderfully. I actually use um if, when I when I'm teaching creative writing and talking about how to start a story. Yeah, um, how evocative is that first sentence? Well, and that's the thing. So normally we have a rule in writing fiction, like don't start your fiction, don't cold open with dialogue. And and right. Evie White's like, yeah, well, watch me. And cold opens with where's Papa going with that axe? And how much conflict is wrapped into that? Because, you know, mm -hmm. wherever he's going, it's nowhere good. Things are some some shit's going down. And um it's just so succinct and we are hooked. We're in because of course we're going to flip the page. Where is Papa going with that act? Um, and, he, he, you know, Fern's going to save a pig. Oh, I'm I'm in for the long haul at this point. We got to find out because he's going to want to, he may stop today, but what if he doesn't stop tomorrow? What if when she goes to school, et cetera. And it's so, he keeps raising the action and it's just a wonderful, uh, just a wonderful example of what you can do. And again, the man is a master. He wrote, you know, elements of style, you should never discount him. But I think it's just a great example of part of the American canon of great literary work, and it doesn't get enough respect. So that's why I, that's why I jumped in. And Dan, you were a little less passionate, but still decided in your choice. What compelled you to choose Charlotte's Web? Well, I want to keep the spider theme going. And that's fair. <laughs> 
gotta gotta keep it going uh so i i again i I said about a little bit about it earlier it it was the kind of familiarity with the some familiarity i had with it um i knew i knew it but also like how could this harmless children's story be banned what is it about this story is it you know is it the way it kind of introduces uh things like death the loss of innocence um the the way our the way we grow up the way we change um i i think i kind of know what it is and i'm sure we'll get into it but i i also just thought how ludicrous so were those your assumptions before you read the book or before looking it up were those your assumptions about why it was banned um i I, I, much like Ada, I went down a rabbit hole immediately because I was like, I can't just sit on this. I can't not know. Spoilers for myself. I can't <laughs> not know why it was being banned. So again, I, I was like, I was like, what could it possibly be? Is it, is it, is it, you know, orphan children? Maybe again, no spoilers. But you know, is it something like that? Is that upsetting for children? Is you know, again, death upsetting? Maybe I could kind of maybe something in there. I was like. What could it possibly be? So then I again fell down that rabbit hole, and if anything, I was I was kind of angry and confused, and there was so many things I was like, "But what? What? But what?" Like it was just there was just so many things going on, and I was like, I was like the second I read that, I was like, you know, I'm sticking with this choice because I think. This will make for a for a fascination, fascinating discussion, but also I think it will the kind of other books you've chosen. I think this one is a is a great choice in between all the middle of that because people are, are gonna. I think everyone's gonna see the title and go what, and they're gonna want to listen. They're gonna want to see uh, and find out exactly why this was banned. So Ada, did you make any assumptions before you looked into it? Um. My immediate assumption was the like mature themes of death and um, as if we, as if kids aren't, you know, cognizant of and don't have to deal with death all around them all of the time. So that, I think that was probably my, my core assumption before I, there wasn't a lot of time between seeing it on the list and going down the rabbit hole of google but that was what came to mind before i before that happened how about you wendy did you make an assumption uh i think i thought it was from the pork industry like pork uh, lobbyists yeah that, that's no humanizing of i animals. could see that <laughs> yeah. I, could do. I mean that's a really good guess so now we'll finally share with people what the reason is <laughs> and there are multiple reasons in 2003, the book was banned. It was preemptively banned in West Yorkshire, England, because the school's head teacher decided that all books featuring pigs, including Winnie the Pooh and the Three Little Pigs and Charlotte's Web, should be removed to avoid offending Muslims, proving the danger in well-intended ignorance. And About then some people <laughs> just. Uh, to me, it's ignorance about being a Muslim. Like, it doesn't mean you hate pigs and can't read literature with a pig in it. It was just the the Muslim organizations there were like, well, 
thank you for your misguided attempt, but we're fine. Please put the books back in the schools. <laughs> you know, like, don't put this on us. <laughs> what I said to you when you told me that was bless their heart. Yes, that's that's the exact right response. It's just bless their heart. And no then pigs were eaten in the making of this book. Right. <laughs> And then some people did take offense to the fact that Charlotte dies, which is a point that E.B. White was adamant about keeping in every adaptation. And then more recently, the book was banned here in the U.S. when a Kansas City parent group claimed that talking animals are unnatural and blasphemous as humans are the highest level of God's creation. And I would argue that this ban proves otherwise. What are your thoughts on the reasons it was banned? And we'll start with Dan. Um, so uh, speaking of speaking of Yorkshire, I, I have a friend who he used to edit uh, films on planes, and he was he was uh, editing a, a Spider Man cartoon, and he said in their guidelines, not guidelines he set, but in the guidelines he had to work by, no depiction of any pigs. So they have to cut out Spider Ham, the the pig completely out of out of anything um and again not his guidelines just something he, he thought it was quite strange as well but he had to just go with that but uh and he's from yorkshire he's from wakefield so uh so that's interesting um i um i think it's utterly again ludicrous i'll use that word ludicrous because it is um i don't know if they've they've thought that thought about parrots at all if they with with this thinking that they can mimic human speech. So that's a God-given ability to parrots and birds of that kind. Uh, apes are able to communicate via sign language. So do we do we do we now, you know, lock them away and say they're not God's creatures or creations or worthy of God's love? Uh, Dolphins can, hu- can mimic human speech too. Correct. There you go. There you go. So so it's just very. It's so closed-minded an argument it's just like oh well ooh, yeah like every cartoon has some sort of anthropomorphic animal so your spider hams your babes your all of these kind of animals like that's half of children's fiction maybe more and are they all gone because they talk are they and know, this is in the 2000s this is not like <laughs> the enlightened age <laughs> right i mean there have been maybe a few cartoons or books that have talking animals in them. This is not the first one. Yes. Like when Mickey Mouse came out, was it was it blasphemous then? No, absolutely not. And it's not blas- blasphemous now. I'm I'm not a religious person. I I am, you know, happily agnostic, I think. I did have a friend who is so atheist he made me agnostic, so you can you can thank him. Um but you know, I just, I just think it's just closed-minded. Again, what is the agenda? Like, like Wendy and Ada were saying, what is the agenda behind this? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to say? But um, it, it comes across to me that the agenda is just pure idiocy. I, I, I mean, right? Because when we're talking about you don't want children to know about death, well, that's that's laziness. Like, do your job, have a conversation with them. Death exists. You might want to let them know, but. Banning it because someone who's Muslim might be offended. Like it's not even, no one's even complained, but just in case this 
this thread that I have pieced together into something that might happen, we're going to remove it for for everyone and blame them or the ignorance of, oh, no, we, we can't. It's blasphemous to have this kind of book like it's all ignorance. And it's just absolutely incredible to me. I have a I have a story about um, it's a secondhand story, but I used to work for a, a theater company who would go into schools and they would perform you know, things like the things they were studying, like Inspector Calls or um, To Kill a Mockingbird or Shakespeare, what have you. And this company went into to perform To Kill a Mockingbird because they've been studying it for a year, this class. Uh, apparently, earlier in the year, um, a, a black student had had read the book To Kill a Mockingbird, which has a certain word in it. Um, and he got very upset, very angry and started kind of tearing up the classroom. The teacher became so terrified and worried that she was going to be cancelled, let's say, uh, let's use that word, um, that she tipexed. So she deleted the word from every copy of the school's library. She she removed that. that oh, that my gosh, bit. that's not the right answer. No. And and then they came to perform the play. They used the word. And the same young man who was, you know, had had the issue, had his issues and um, started kind of tearing, tearing things up again. And again, it wasn't the rest of the staff, the headmistress, everybody else. They were like, well, what, why is he kicking off? We, we've been studying this for the last year. And they and then she admits that she had been editing the books and editing that word out. Rather than she, addressing this issue or his feelings on it, we're going to erase, erase, erase and pretend like it's not a thing. Exactly. And and that's the, just the and the, again the headmistress was not happy. The rest of the staff were not happy, and she was. I think she'd had a conversation with the mother. And I think she'd been upset by it as well. But again, I don't think it was. Again, the conversation was not had, and that was the problem. And and that's what caused the big ruckus during the show, um, and which was which is a really poorly handled situation. I think it's because of these situations that these unfortunately are being caused because people are censoring editing or outright banning these books so wendy i know you've been dying to talk about the reasons it was banned what what are your thoughts um so the interesting thing i mean we the the muslim connection i again bless her heart uh the talking animal connection i've been thinking about this a lot and you know Dan had mentioned, you know, Mickey Mouse and and Tony the Tiger and all manner of a million talking animals. The sexiest um, Robin Hood in existence. For real, he didn't wear pants. But, <laughs> you know, um, and there's just a million. And and But there's also animals in the Bible that talk. Not, not just the, like the serpent who, you know, was in Eden. But there's, at one point, there's an eagle in Revelations that is really a messenger he basically a proxy for an angel so in some ways those animals are divine so i think that is interesting that that i'd, I'd be curious to hear how that kind of comes up into it and also last i checked the u.s was founded on religious freedom um so last i checked also you know it's just not a freaking religious book i mean it's not like we're talking about Narnia here, which also has talking animals and is a really big religious allegory. So yeah, um, you know, so that 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 man has written volumes on the defense of Christianity. 
So we have, um, again, and I also have to say, I still bring up the pork industry because Kansas is the seat of our pork, uh, you know, pork con consuming and raising area. So I wonder if the blasphemy, it was just a, you know, a, a cover operation mm. and it was really all these pork producing, um, worried about kids refusing to eat Wilbur on their bacon cheeseburgers. That's my guess. Not really, but I mean, I think people are. Okay, but there's some merit to that. There is some merit to it. Maybe it's not far fetched. We should follow the money. Also, I'm still available to fight. I'm ready to, I'm hopping, I'm hopping. I'm ready to go. Where's Wendy going with that axe? (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't you like to know? (laughs) Ada. Um, I'm with you, Wendy. Follow the money. I mean, I find it really fascinating that Charlotte's Web was written in 1952, 51-52, by a man who is renowned for his writing, for teaching us how to write um, here in the United States. And I just feel like the reasons it was banned take me back to your earlier question tanya about this like pattern of where we might be as a society um the first one you mentioned was in 2003 and then so in the last 20 years this book that was written in the early 1950s has suddenly got all this controversy around it because animals talk because we humans have this, what to me is a horrifically offensive idea that we are the most intelligent life form on this planet. Um, yeah, follow that money right back to the little meat industries. That's what I think about that. <laughs> it's, it is very arrogant to presume that we are the top. It's don't insane. You think? It's insane. Trees communicate with other trees across hundreds of thousands of miles. Like... And animals um, understand what we are saying, and we do not understand what they are saying. Word. <laughs> Sounds smart for me. I would, I mean, I, that's a good play. Well played. So Scholastic lists this book for the 7 to 10 age group. Is that the age group that you'd recommend as well, Wendy? Um. Yeah, I would even say, I mean, I think there's some six-year-olds who could handle it. Uh, Chapter books are generally something that they can get into. Um, You know, it's a classic. But I would, I I think it's enjoyable also older than that. I remember reading it as a teenager and also sobbing at the end again because I'm a big schmoopy. Um, But I think it's, I don't think there is a top age age limit. I think that by putting a top age limit, it's, it's limiting. So ages six and over. Yeah. It's a little harder when you reread it because you know what's coming. It, it, that sadness lasts a little longer, don't you think? Obviously, since I just choked up like 30 minutes. About <laughs> How about you, Ada? What age group would you recommend this for? Oh, my goodness. That's so true, Tanya. I went into Charlotte's Web already like with my eyes full of tears when I first picked up the book about month or two ago to reread it I was like this is gonna be so sad I was already like 10 pages in tears loaded ready to fall um 
It's a muscle memory, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm with Wendy. I six and up. My little brother was probably five or six. It was had to be five or six when we read it. Um, I would have to ask him if there was a profound impact. He is a voracious meat eater, and I know he hunts, so I I doubt that it scarred him. It didn't seem like it scarred him. Um, I think six and up is totally appropriate, and I'm I'm kind of with you putting that age cap on it makes it a little bit less appealing to those tweens and like middle school kids that might really benefit from it. Um, but see that it's, you know, seven to 10 and think, well, I'm too cool. I can't, I can't lower myself to read a book for seven to 10 year olds. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say six and up seven and up. What about you, Dan? I'm not great with children's ages, so I'm just going to base this off my nephew. Uh, he is five going on six. I I don't think he would sit still um, uh, for for that long. And, and this is not his kind of content. He's very into YouTube and Minecraft and and uh, but he did sit still for the first half an hour of Barbie, which is impressive. So uh, so I'll give him that. But uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Maybe for him, it would be maybe a little too wordy, or maybe it's just not not his bag. He's been brought up on these, you know, the Disney Marvel films and stuff. So I think he's he's been spoilt um, for all this stuff. So uh, so I'd probably say as a going off him entirely, it probably would need to be a little bit older, but not too old. So maybe yeah, maybe seven or eight. I think maybe would be a better maybe roundabout or maybe a little older uh, for him specifically, I would say. Well, Ada, what are the reasons that people should read Charlotte's Web? They are numerous and plentiful. If you are a person who for a, any part of your brain thinks that we are the most intelligent and dominant life force on the planet, we are the most dominant, but if you think we're the most intelligent life form on the planet, I challenge you to read Charlotte's Web and not cry and not change your mind. Um, I'm going to stop there. How about you, Dan? What are the lessons that could be learned from this book? Uh, empathy, I think, is is always the most important lesson to learn, you know, for whoever they may be, you know, different race, re, uh, religion, creed, whatever. I think empathy for your fellow man, woman, children. I, and I think this one just uh, embodies that and potential and friendship and coming to terms with growing old um you know and changing who you are becoming more interested in other things as you grow older and you know the changing of the seasons and what that does for you and the mem those simple memories you've had as a child um it's 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 a it's a lovely book and i i can't i can't ever consider or understand as much as i'd like to i don't think i could ever understand exactly why they've been banning them uh they tried to ban it but i imagine it's kind of a like we were describing kind of a texas chainsaw massacre situation where it's like all all of the uh all of the the uh the meat industry is going out of business so they start killing normal people so maybe maybe that's what we need to do with the people that ban this book we start taking the chainsaws out to them instead um but yeah i think i think there's there's too many kind of reasons to list i think um so you named some excellent ones. Specifically, all of these animals are different races. Absolutely. And yet they could be friends and work toward helping each other. Yeah. 
even interspecies even the, empathy. Yeah, right. Even the one that's not really that nice. I still right. kind of I still kind of was like, nah, he's all right. He got a raw deal, but yeah. but he still helped and he was he's, named. Like he was an important yeah. and essential character and not yeah. an antagonist. Mm. I mean, arguably he's the wordsmith. He brings all the words. That's right. <laughs> Wendy, why should people read Charlotte's Web? Well, uh, 1953 Newbery Award medalist. So uh, folks, you know, further back um, felt it was worthy. And again, the man who gave us Stuart Little and with the swan, this trumpeter, the swan, something swan book uh, also, you know, came from that mind. But I think it is the uh, trumpet of the swan. Yeah, trumpet of the swan. Um, but hey, how about a different reason? It's short. It's short. Put it in your bathroom. It's it's just a lovely, smooth, soothing read. Uh, there's there's a lot of crap going on. We're doom scrolling. It's so it's the it's the antidote to doom scrolling. The antidote to doom scrolling. There's a sequel for you. <laughs> I love that. I'm gonna put a copy in my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> you have your your guests coming out crying. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have it any other way. What yeah. happened? Joe's getting tired. Yes, exactly. I will say. So, I'll say as as a sorry, just to interrupt. I will say as a result of this book, there's been two instances where I could have killed a spider in the last week. And I didn't do it. So yeah, Wendy my... made a comment about that. I don't kill spiders in my house. I don't either. I find my husband and he comes and gets them and relocates them. Right. They can or stay if them. they're harmless or they them. can be relocated outside. And I've actually kept some as pets. I'm I, hoping what... say, I don't know if you guys can see it. Spider bite. Yes. Oh. I'm just hoping one of them is, you know, genetically modified or radioactive of some kind. Right. One day. Think... You never know. You're... You never know worth it right <laughs> totally well, before i wrap up i believe dan you have some audience comments to share i do i do thank you for asking uh so i put the word out there uh, very recently just to ask if anybody has any memories of charlotte's web how they felt about it and also if they knew it was banned and do they know the reason and what do they think of the reason and why it was banned so uh mike of genuine chit chat so mike burton he says no idea why it was banned, but if it's to do with the animals talking, that's nuts. As it isn't that almost every kid's movie, series, or book. Thought that's considered cute? Question mark. Unless it's Animal Farm, of course. Good book, but obviously quite mature. Brackets. Also, would these people ban certain primates from existence as they can learn sign language? I hope it doesn't stem from the devil posing as a talking snake in Eden, as that reason would just be insanity. Um, my friend uh, Natasha Bolton, who I went to, used to go to uni with, a fellow actor, uh, she just says, I loved Charlotte's Web. And then uh, Megan, so Grits Gets Fit on Instagram, uh, Megan Gritty, she says, I don't understand why it would be banned. In my view, Charlotte's Web is a great opportunity for children to learn about friendship and chosen family, whilst also having to understand the concepts of some trickier issues, such as death. It is a wholesome and well-rounded book. 
And then we have Math. Uh, so that's at MathUK78 on Twitter. Uh, he was on my latest podcast, Lovely Fella. He says, I think it's an absolute joke. I think it has a great story to tell, never to give up, and how to try and find who you are. The fact that it's talking animals, well, what about Animal Farm or most Disney films? It's a joke. Uh, someone out of touch wanting to ruin other people's enjoyment. And Rhea Carrigan, our favourite, she says, like most banned books, the banning of this one seems wildly inappropriate. The storytelling device of having animals talk is such a great way to get children interested in reading as well as exploring the themes of the book. Banning it on religious grounds due to the animals talking is at best unhinged and at worst dangerous. I can't imagine being so threatened by a god and book with talking animals that you would think of banning it. It's like these people don't want children thinking for themselves. Winky face. And then finally, Alison Shelton. So that's by Alison Shelton on Instagram. I guess it's banned because of the talking animals, but that is exactly why I loved it. Some wonderful comments there, and we thank you all for those. And I want to thank my guests for your thoughtful input. Ada, where can people find you and support your work? Thanks for having me, Tanya. I have loved this conversation with, with all three of you. Um, you can find me and my work at www.aamccartney.com. Thank you. How about you, Wendy? Uh, I am, oh gosh, sorry. Um, I am, <laughs> <laughs> Oli is very excited too. Uh, I am on www.wendywimmer.com. My book entry level is available wherever you find uh, books and at your local independent bookstore, they can get it for you as well as the um, the website, www.wendywimmer.com. And um, send me an email. I'd love to hear from people. Dan the man. Uh, so you can find me uh, my in my own Daniel's web uh, on www.spiderdanandthesecretbulls.com on the World Wide Web. So uh, swing over and you can look at some wacky, weird, controversial, and sometimes even banned films and or comic books. Lots of fun. Well, that's it for today's conversation. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, share, comment. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. And until next time, be radiant, be terrific, and most importantly, be humble. <laughs>